Welcome back. I'm Kim Munson, and let's have a conversation. I'm thrilled to have in studio with me Bill Roth. We're going to have a conversation about steel. Bill Roth has been involved in the steel industry for a long time, and so he seemed like the person to talk to about the U.S. steel industry. So, Bill Roth, welcome. Thank you. So how long have you been in the steel industry? I was in it 42 years. So that's a little while. You've seen a lot. Seen a lot. How did you get into the steel business? I was in the liquor wholesale business in Kansas City and was approached by a steel company that was moving to Denver. And they wanted to know if I wanted to be a part of it. And I went to work in outside sales form here. And American Steel... I, I remember, and we're doing quotes today from Andrew Carnegie, who was, uh, you know, a great steel man, if you will. Uh, but American Steel has really built the West, hasn't it? Yes, it has. There's two things that I think people don't realize. If you ask the average person, they'll tell you that most of the steel comes from Japan, China, places like that. 80 to 90 percent of it is produced right here in America. Well, I like that. And uh, Bill, correct me. I'm, just a question on this. is My understanding was after World War II that we actually helped rebuild like the steel industry in, in Germany and in Japan. Is, is that true? Yes. Okay. So we went out and actually, I mean, since when does somebody that actually won a war then go out and help their enemies Rebuild. I mean, isn't that something? Every country we've had a war with, we've gone back and rebuilt them and helped them. We didn't dominate them. But steel is a common product in every all over the world. It's the most recycled product in the world. Eighty to ninety percent of steel is recycled. How do they do that? They have cars. Okay. Do they melt it down? Is they, that what happens? That goes through a shredder, shreds it in the size of my fist goes into a, uh, uh, a ladle, 100 to 125 tons, and they used to shovel coal, and it was a mess, and it was dirty. You can eat off the floor of the new modern mills. They use electric probes and lower them into the ladle, and it starts a melting process. It takes about 30 minutes, and then they add chemicals to it, to just like a recipe, to make it become what they want it to be. Okay. It seems like somebody told me recently that the old steel mills, there was, you know, things that were belching up into the air. Has that changed? Uh, uh, completely. Because, again, it's done with electricity. It's not throwing cold in a furnace and heating it up. So it's done, and it's done much faster. We have, we have the most modern technology in the world here in America. Okay, what about the competition from uh, other countries? Uh, are we bringing in a lot of that into the U.S., or what's that look like? What happens is on the east and west coast in the Houston area, there is imported steel that comes in. A lot of it, though, the prices are subsidized by the countries. So it makes it hard for the Americans to compete. But because we've got such modern technology, it doesn't take that many people to run a mill. We can make steel that's plenty competitive. If you bought a beam in Houston, Texas, and put it on a truck and brought it up here, it'll cost $0.10, cents, $0.09 cents a pound to get it up here. If you make it 
in Blytheville, Arkansas, if you make it in Jewett, Texas, you make it in Plymouth, Utah, it's only got a little bit of freight to get it here, depending on the product, angles and flats, beams, plate. We have the most modern tube processor in America sitting right seven miles south of Cheyenne, searing metals. And they uh, don't have probably 50 people in that facility. And again, they're manufacturing after it's been made, rolled in, the plates rolled into coils, and they bring the coils in on rail cars. And then they're decoiled and it goes through a process. But it's so efficient and clean, and plus it's a much superior product. Efficient, clean, and it's a superior product. And then I think you also said that a lot of this is recycled. All recycled, yeah. Now, again, tubing mills, uh, tubing manufacturers, what they're actually called, they're taking a product that's already made, making it. But you go to Blytheville, Arkansas, uh, Nucor has a huge beam mill there, and they start out with raw scrap. A lot of it's shipped down on barges up and down the Mississippi. Okay. What about originally making steel? That comes from iron, right? Uh, iron ore. Uh, yeah. Iron ore. So tell me about, and, and the reason I'm asking you these questions, Bill, is because I think a lot of people haven't ever really understood the, the whole steel industry and what happens exactly. So like Andrew Carnegie, he, he became one of the wealthiest people in America. He built a steel company, and then he certainly was a, a, um, a, a, a fil- very philanthropic. I remember the little town where I grew up, there was a Carnegie library, and he built libraries throughout the country so that kids could learn to read. And he was an immigrant. He started working young, uh, and he became very wealthy because he created a product that people people wanted. But Talk about you know steel how you know how it originally is uh, is made from iron ore. Again, mostly scrap. It's shredded down to small pieces. It's put in a big ladle, and then there's uh, huge electrodes, probably a foot in diameter, three or four of them, and they just start lowering it into that ladle, and it's 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 like shorting out electricity. And it just turns that, starts turning it red hot, then melts it. And so the, I think what I'm hearing you say is the majority then of steel in the United States now is just all from recycled products. Yes, 80, 90%. Okay, it took me a while to get that bill, but I finally, yeah. I think I finally no. got that. You take, uh, people think we recycle a lot of aluminum. We really don't. Steel is the one thing that's recycled more than anything else. And uh, uh, what does that look like exactly? I mean, you know, where does the steel come from that's recycled? Primarily automobiles? All, all j- automobiles, anything they can grind up. You go by the junkyards. They're all over America, and you'll see piles of scrap. And what they'll do is hang on to it as long as they can it. To get it's nothing steel is nothing more than corn and it's a, just a commodity so they try to get two three cents more a pound for it when they sell it to the mills they even go as far as some of the mills have, they use so much electricity with these probes that they will make deals with the electric company to maybe work from two to three o'clock in the morning melding steel because, again, 
they'll get a cut rate on the electricity. That's probably the highest. I'm not, for, I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. That's probably the most expensive part of running the mill is the electric bill. I would have thought it was labor, but you said that uh, there's not that many people that's involved in that anymore. Now, they, uh, there's one tube mill right north of Detroit that has probably three people on computers that are guiding the plate through the process of making a piece of tubing. And uh, they may have 50 other people working along the line, so if a motor stops, a roller goes bad, something happens, they can jump in and replace it. You go to a bean mill, like again down in Blytheville, Arkansas, they literally have another mill sitting in supply because when something breaks, the mill shuts down. So they have most of the pieces so they can repair uh, whatever breaks down and keep that mill running. You also said, Bill Roth, and you've been in the industry or recently retired, but in the steel industry for over 40 years, that there's a difference in quality by some of the imports that are coming in. How do you explain that? It's just that we're so efficient at our the way we make steel and i'm not going to mention countries but there are countries that have brought horrible steel into america and most of the distributors don't want to do business with them and is there a way to check that quality before you start to build it then they start to build a building and you take a piece of tubing and you weld a base plate on it and the heat of welding that plate on the seam where it's put together, start splitting open, things like that. Okay. You know, we're going to go to break here in just a minute, but today is 9-11. And, of course, uh, back in 2001 was when the uh, World Trade Center towers were hit. And it was pretty remarkable to me that those buildings did not fall over, topple over onto some of the other buildings there that, in fact, um, I've always heard that there was... Uh, something rather remarkable about the steel in those towers. Is is that possibly true? I don't know. I huh? really don't. I know the, that years ago, back in the 90s, whenever they had the earthquakes out in San Francisco, they always used what was called a grade 50, which was a harder steel. What they realized from the bridges falling down is... If you used a regular A36 steel, it would bend and fall. It wouldn't just break. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Well, let's go to break. This is Kim Munson. I'm having a conversation with Bill Roth. He's been in the U.S. steel industry for over 40 years. And with all the the comments about steel in the uh, headlines, we thought it'd be good to have a conversation about it. So we will be right back. Hey, welcome back. I'm Kim Munson, and we are having a conversation with Bill Roth. Bill Roth was in the uh, steel industry for over 42 years, and we're learning a bit about American steel. And uh, so it's great to have you in studio, Bill. Thank you. Now, we were talking about how much steel is recycled. And producer Steve, while we were at break, you came up with a very interesting tidbit of information. Well, today being 9-11, as you would expect, There's all kinds of cool things out there on the Internet, uh, namely Facebook is where I saw this one. But the Navy ship USS New York has seven and a half tons of recycled steel recycled from the Trade Center in the hull, mostly uh, around the bow section. 
Wow, did you know that, Bill? Uh, no, I didn't. Well, that's a great tidbit of uh, information. And again, I had no idea that all this steel was being uh, recycled. Let's let's talk a bit more though about the the process on this bill, um, because the being, fabrication, yeah, yeah. The, the whole thing, yeah, bringing in the rail on the rail cars and all. Well, just as are the company I worked for, we brought a lot of our steel in rail cars because, again, the freight was everything's about saving a penny. Mm -hmm. doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're selling millions of pounds, it adds up. Mm -hmm. And then a, a fabricator will send a list over of a building that he's building. So what is a fabricator exactly? A fabricator is the one. We sell the raw steel after it's manufactured. We take, say, a beam that's 40 foot long, and uh, we sell it to a fabricator who then puts a base plate on it, cuts holes in it, cuts it to length, whatever the process he's got to do. Okay. Same with tubing. Plate, he may cut base plates out of, but now more than ever... And what is tubing exactly? Tubing is square tube, rectangular okay. tube, small tube for uh, uh, furniture. It's it, Tubing's a, a big product. Mm -hmm. Okay. And is, does stuff go through like those those bigger tubes? Uh, the way, you want to know how they make it? Yeah. It actually used to be done on a set of rollers, probably a block long, that took and started forming it. The rollers were set. And as they brought it around and squared it up, it would weld together. The, those mills could run at two to three miles an hour. The new modern mills, like the one I set up near Cheyenne, they bring it through a set of roll, one set of rolls, five foot long, that form it into an instant pipe, weld it, then go another 10 feet or so, go into another machine with a set of rolls the size of the, say, four-square quarter-wall tubing. And that, I, my words, crush it down to that four-square quarter. And it's perfect because you're crushing it instead of trying to form it okay. flat. And then they're cut off and bundled. So everything's automated. Nobody's sitting there touching it. So what a t I hadn't even thought about all the creativity and innovation that has gone into this industry. Yep. So let's get back to the fabricators then. Uh, you know, there's different products that they might need. So what, what happens after that? They've ordered the steel ordered from you. ordered the steel. It used to be that we covered everything and the mills rolled as stock, 40-footers, 50-footers, 60-footers. And that's kind of what the fabricators had to choose. Our companies brought in because somebody asked. We started bringing in 35, 45, 55s. That way we could give that fabricator that wanted a 42-foot, we could give them a 45-foot instead of a 50-foot. Then over the years it evolved to where we put saws in, and we would take their their want list, and if they needed a 42-foot 6, we'd cut it. 42 foot six and we charge them for that process but that's all they were buying was the 42 foot six we brought beams in 60 65 foot lengths so and tubing in lot longer lengths so that we had good drops that we could resell that we didn't have to throw away because then there'd be no advantage to it and so that revolutionized the 
distributing business here in the Rocky Mountains. I'm sure that by now some other uh, distributors are doing it, but for many years it was just a couple of us that did it, and the people had the advantage here. It was both the, both the competitors that did it. Well, it sure seems to make a lot of sense. And, you know, sometimes, Bill, it's just somebody asks a question, what if? You know, sometimes there's some amazing things that come from just that question of what if. And so so how does this work exactly then? A, a building is being designed. Then do they go to the fabricator? The fabricator comes to the steel distributor? Or how does that work exactly? They design the building, the engineers and so on. Then architects and so on draw the building. Then those drawings are sent out for bids, and they have to do what they call takeoffs at the uh, fabricator, uh, and then that's where the lists come from of the products that they need because it may be tubing, maybe some angles, angle steel, maybe just flat steel, but it'll definitely have tubing and beam. And if if you look at this new building going up at Bellevue, I-25. 16, 18 stories. That's a whole steel frame. Okay. Is steel frame the best frame? Is it the only frame? We think it I'm is. I'm sure you do. <laughs> um, so I've always thought about, you know, we've heard in the Rust Belt the loss of, of jobs in the steel industry. And I guess I always thought it was because we were bringing in steel from other countries. But it sounds like it was at more... That, at that time, they had they, they had an advantage bringing it in again. The, they'd get helped out ma- making steel, say, in, in Japan, and the, they'd get subsidized. Mm-hmm. Well, it was hard for us to compete because the government doesn't pay the steel mills to make steel. But also, it... it, it and I, I'm not going to get into it, but there was reasons why the steel mills went broke in Pittsburgh. There was a professor talking about better ideas. There was a professor that came up with Nucor, and what he did, he went out to all the small towns, like, again, Plymouth, Utah, outside of Salt Lake, uh, uh, Blytheville, Arkansas, 80 miles north of Memphis, Jewett, Texas, uh, and started these mills, and they could get the farm kids. They're into second, third generations because they all want to work there. They show up every day. There's no union problems. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that could have been one of the contributing I, factors I back in. Played golf with the guy that just ran a crane at the beam mill in Blytheville, and this is 15 years ago. And he'd made $92,000 that year with all his benefits. Wow. And so that... Those are the, you know, without getting into... Mm -hmm. I don't want to get into an argument about what's right, wrong, but... Just that's kind of the facts. Again, it got back to a better idea. Go out to a small farming town and put up a steel mill. And people will show up and work every day. And they get paid more for the production, the amount of production, not just... Right. Like some, like, that's what killed the mills in the East. Okay. Um, We're getting close to out of time. It's been in the news quite a bit, this whole tariff thing with uh, President Trump, and and it looks like he's going to be putting additional tariffs on Chinese steel and Mexican steel coming in. What's your thoughts about that, Bill? 
Obviously, you want to make it steel in America. We have the capacity in America to make all the steel that we need. It isn't like we can make 80% and have to import 20. We can make it all right here. The steel mills, and again, I've been out of it a while, but I think the tariffs, the steel mills are doing just fine. Now, they're not selling the amount of steel they want to sell, never do. But I think as far as uh, it's not... Somebody's going to build a 30-story building. They're going to build it, and a, a couple cents a pound or 10 cents a pound on steel isn't going to keep them. I, I think I heard at some point that when they put up a five-story building, only 10% of it is the cost of the steel. And Wow. <laughs> so it is as much as people think it is. Well, and, and to that point, you know, research that I'm doing is a lot of building uh, can actually, a lot of that can go to rules and regulations. So it's interesting that steel is just 5% of that. Uh, Bill, we are just about out of time. Bill Roth uh, and Jason McBride, Presidential Wealth yes. Management, introduced us. So thank you to Jason for that. Um, but what would be your final thought that you'd like to, to leave our listeners with? I, uh, I've been out of it two years. I go and visit some of my customers now and then, and they seem to all be doing very well here in the Rocky Mountain region. So keep your prices where people want to build their product, their buildings out of steel. Okay. Bill Roth, this has been such a delight. I have learned so much. I think producer Steve probably has as well. And it's just been a delight to have you in studio. Thank you so much. Thank you.